Hello there. Thank you for downloading what I'm pretty sure is the longest Tully show in history. I know. History in the making, and we're all a part of it. If at the end of the show you decide you want even more of me talking into a microphone in your life, I will remind you, patreon.com slash Mike Tully. I have one, two, three ongoing exclusive music podcasts happening there on top of the Tully Time News Headline podcast, the Rambling Man Listener Q&A podcast, monthly horrible movie hangs, one of those happening next week. Lots of stuff happening. Hope to see you there. Patreon.com slash Mike Tully. Okay, you ready to start this show? Coming to you live on tape as we have passed the one-year anniversary of quarantine from my now nine-year-old son's bedroom in rapidly gentrifying Culver City adjacent California, boasting a partially obstructed view of the smog-shrouded urban sprawl of the City of Angels. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, once again, the lead singer of Sugar Ray and three-time champion of rock and roll Jeopardy. Hello and welcome back, hopefully for real this time, our dear friend, Mark McGrath. Uh, Tully, how you doing, man? Always a pleasure. Always a a joy. And you know what's cool, man? A, A lot of people are starting to respond on crazy topics i thought people would never give a shit about i know we're talking about like you mentioned honeymoon suite and those are fighting words to some people you know and i'm so glad there's people out there that care about music like you and i do and it's if there's if there's five thousand of them or 500 of them this is for you you know this is for you it does not seem that there's any area of uh, a nook or cranny of musical knowledge or history that we can go down that doesn't poke a bear somewhere in the Twitter. Space. Right. And I love that. Well, that's passion. That's music. And you and I certainly have our opinions on who's better Cinderella or Brittany Fox. And those are fighting words across the, across the world. Thank God, you know, because yeah. uh, those are things that I were interested in high school and the things I'm still interested in as a 53 year old man with 10 year old twins. You know, I am pretty sure Brittany Fox will tell you that Cinderella is better than <laughs> Brittany Fox. <laughs> I think you're right. And they're both from Philadelphia, yeah. which is an interesting uh, thing. And I do believe there was a Cinderella sort of overseer a la Bon Jovi kind of facilitated Skid Row's career. Yeah. I believe there was a little bit of mentorship there too. I threw that out there. I was grasping for straws no, I know, before. I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. In, in regard to those two, yeah, I think they may have even, may have even gone to the same hair salon, Brittany Fox and Yeah, Cinderella. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure, man. There was one. They really had that puffed up, yeah. teased Axl Rose, think Axl Rose first video, Welcome to the Jungle. The craziest thing in the world, Axl Rose was a straight up glam rock dude in Welcome to the Jungle. I mean, as glam rock as Britney Fox could be, or as Poison was, honest to God. Now, his band was a lot gnarlier, Mm -hmm. but Axl Rose and that Welcome to the Jungle is as glammed up as CeCe DeVille ever got. Yeah, don't tell him that, despite the fact that there's ample no. video evidence to the contrary. Steven Adler was also on board with being in a hair metal band, but the rest of the guys were. And that was kind of what was cool, was they, they were all... I mean, Duff will tell you now he was a pure punk guy. There was He wore more eyeliner, eyeliner than Sid Vicious ever did, I can, I can tell you that. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, but honest to God, though, his pedigree is pretty. Yeah, is pretty. Uh, is is pretty a spot. It's pretty spot. It's pretty. It's a lot of credence to his pedigree. Is what I'm trying to say. He was in some real legit. Seattle throw around knock around punk bands even yeah. Kurt Cobain used to go see so I think that crazy you know uh experience thrown in with Steven Adler's hairdo straight out of the valley made for some of the best music ever heard and won Guns N' Roses did you watch the Grammys I, I couldn't have had less interest in the Grammys and I didn't I did not try to watch it it just passed me by yeah I don't know what the categories are anymore. I don't know what the artists are anymore. You know, I'm from the old school of the delivery system, uh, you know, totally where there was a record came out, there was commercial success, there was sort of a rattling cry around certain records as Grammy time got near, much like the Oscars was. Yes. And now it's completely different. You can have 200 million followers on Spotify and I could never have heard of you and you might've won four Grammys uh, on the last Grammy show. So it's a completely new way of doing things, not trying to be an old curmudgeon. It just, I don't know where to go. I don't know how the Grammys is relative to, relative to me anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I don't know how the Grammys can be relevant anymore because award shows are of their nature, like they reflect the best of a monoculture. When everybody is has seen the same stuff, has heard the same stuff, the water cooler buzz is one kind of conversation around the country and around the world. But, you know, I'm going to say it again. It used to be everybody will be famous for 15 minutes and now it's everybody will be famous for 15 people. And how does one compare a CBS show to a Netflix show to a BBC drama to something that had 30 episodes in their season to something that had four episodes in their season. We're trying to cram things into categories that made sense for decades and decades and decades that no longer have any real relevance. And that's why I think the Grammys had a, a very, very steep drop off in viewership this year. And like, I know that my parents watched the Grammys. So if you're saying you've lost 50% of your audience and the people that you have retained are 84 year old men and a woman who's not that much younger than 84 who have never heard of any of these people, then it's even worse than the news sounds because a lot of the people who are still watching are the people who are watching these things. Cause they've always lived in a world where you watch the big music award show, you watch the big movie award show, but they, they, it's a dinosaur. We, we are living yeah. in a time. There's so many channels that the Grammys will never not be on TV, but we're getting to a point where they will come and they will go, and very few people will notice them aside from people holding up a statue and a picture on their Instagram. Yeah, boy, that, that is such an accurate oversight of what the Grammys have become. Because it is still like appointment viewing, you know, like, oh, the Oscars are on, you know, the, the Macy's Christmas Thanksgiving parade's on, you know, yes. must watch. And the, uh, the, the, the Grammys will survive this year with a half viewership drop off because it was on Zoom. Wait till they have to go back to the Kodak Theater, rent that out, present all the production, all the gigantic wardrobe, all the makeup. Beyonce comes in. She wants five private planes. She wants to. And, and the, the economics just don't work anymore. So ironically, this Zoom sort of uh, virtual uh, Grammys gave the Grammys about another year or two until an advertiser finds out I'm losing money by putting my dollars into the uh, my commercial advertising on the Grammys. So you are so correct when it is a dinosaur. 
And there's just there's this way of thinking. I, I don't know if you saw Bill Maher over the weekend. He ended with such an incredible, incredible oversight about uh, Spotify uh, and all this. And like, you know, the Grammys are very, you know, they're supposed to give everybody a chance. And, you know, only 10 percent of the, the artists on the uh, on the Spotify platform are are eligible or were even nominated. And he goes, that's because the cream rises to the crop. I don't want to, you know, the, 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 the cream rises because you know, I don't want to hear your crappy garage band. And just because they're on Spotify doesn't mean they're entitled to a Grammy nomination. And, and like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he's, you know, he's, he's an eloquent speaker when he's passionate about what he's talking about. And, you know, there's just there's a sort of uh, 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 ideology or thinking right now that like, you know, the Grammys are just there's such an old way and they're such a but it's all it's still you know, it's still awarding people that are successful that are still out there. Not just because I haven't heard them doesn't mean anything, but there is some weird kind of uh, disconnect where people think just because they released a record on Spotify, this entitled culture we live in, where's my Grammy? You know what I mean? It's really interesting. You had a great take on it. I think it's always been a little bit difficult. I, I, maybe it's just because I'm more passionate about music, but I, I think that there have been movies that have come along and, you know, Titanic was the best picture, the movie that yes. Titanic came out. And I guess by that same token, Thriller was the record of the Absolutely. year when that came out. But so like I, whether you aesthetically like them, yeah. you know, you you could have a community, you know, community lab like, yeah, Thriller deserved that. Yes. You know, now whether I'm rocking with all Thriller or not, or, or if I'm if I'm Iron Maiden fan, Thriller deserved it on wherewithal, sales, uh, quality songwriting. And there was that kind of collective thought back then, which does not exist anymore. No, right. So I thought that we could, it might be fun for us to take a look back since it was uh, recently the Grammys. It has been, the Grammys happened since last you and I spoke, that ill-fated uh, taping. Gosh. That we do, your, your, do people know about that or no? Or do you need to run it up? Over on my Patreon, I did a whole episode where I just talked through all the stuff. And I tried to not be like, so I said this, and then Mark said that. <laughs> but I was like, I want to talk about the new releases from March of 19. And it was such a fun episode. It was, so it was fun. such a great one. And you know why it was great? Because it was such an important, we were talking about it. It was such an important sort of link, link Look into the future yep. and seeing the past trying to hang on. Eight, yeah. That 81, that March of 81 was really, uh, it was kind of a pitchfork in the road of what was to come. Yeah, you know? yep. fingers crossed for April of 1981. One of these days we'll, we'll, we'll get it together. But Feeling, feeling good about it. <laughs> <laughs> but since then the Grammys happened and being the stick in the mud contrarian, some would say asshole that I am, I thought it would be fun to take a look back <laughs> at some of the more controversial Grammy uh, decisions from over the years and the uh, we, you and I have touched many times recently on the Christopher Cross thing from 1981 and it's just fun to look so in 1981 Christopher Cross won a bunch of different Grammys he won album of the year do you know who he was up against Pink Floyd I mentioned boy I, I that's gonna be what that was 81 you said right yeah I'm gonna say Bonnie Raitt was up there for some stupid reason Bonnie Raitt no, not Bonnie Raitt. Bo Bo Bonnie, uh, Total Eclipse of Heart. Bo Bo Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. Yeah. No, no, say no. She no. was up there with some. This was uh, a. This there was, was a sound. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Was there a soundtrack involved? I. No, I don't believe so. Were the Stones involved? 
No, the Stones were not involved. Were the police involved? Album of the year 1981 is some of the most legendary names in the history of music, every single one of whom I would argue has left a larger imprint on the culture than the police. And then Christopher Cross. Wow. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's not waste any more time. Give me the nominees. Christopher Cross beat out Pink Floyd, Frank Sinatra, Billy Joel, and Barbara Streisand. Okay, but let's name the records. I know. We all know yep. every artist is capable of laying a gigantic turd that even they can't flush. It might right. be a double okay. flusher. So Sinatra in 81 is obviously well past his prime. There's a real fun thing, which we might even get into a little bit here, where you can see in the late 60s the, the Frank and his ilk wave recede as it is passed by the rock and roll invasion. And you have categories in which Frank Sinatra is up against the Beatles and you can see the years <laughs> you can see the years where Frank wins and then you can see where the Beatles start to win and then they never look back by 1981 I'm not sure what Sinatra album it was I'm pretty sure that's when New York New York came out we think of that as one of these forever songs it's actually an ex might be his last hit song but well I would have said that came out in their early 60s 70s you know when when Frank did the main event thing at Madison Square Garden when mm -hmm. he came out into a boxing ring uh, and it was a uh, it was a, um, a a concert that was streamed around the world. I believe he did New York, New York, because it was in Madison Square, and I could totally be wrong. Yeah. But w was this the album he he might have had luck? Uh, L. A. Is my lady, which was uh, trying to compete for the Olympics to be the song of the Olympics. That and I love L. A. By Randy Newman. I don't know about that. Yeah. Thing, what is the name of the record? I guess I should ask. Right. Okay. So the, th the song New York, New York is actually called the theme from New York, New York, because there was a movie that I'm not familiar with, a Martin Scorsese film, New York, New York, that came out in 1977. It was written for and performed by Liza Minnelli in the film, and then... Frank came in and drank Liza's milkshake. Two years later, he recorded the same song for his album. This is this crazy curiosity. I think it's a triple album, a trilogy, past, wow. past, present, future. So the one is him okay. singing standards and one is him doing stuff about, I don't know, New York, New York, I guess is on there. And then the future one is the one that attracts the most attention from people who like offbeat records nowadays because it's Frank tripping on time in Star Trek in the future. <laughs> Adding some 80s production into some Frank Sinatra yeah. uh, tonality. I haven't, um, I haven't heard the whole thing, but I'm pretty sure theremins are involved. Oh, definitely. They'll definitely, uh, probably two or three on the same track. <laughs> are, 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 are you, are, but do we know the name of the record yet, though? Yeah, that's the record. Trilogy, Past, Present, and oh, Future. Oh, Trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trilogy, Past, Present, Future. Came out in, in 1980, you know, yeah. At that point, Frank was always going to have to have some sort of past with his present. That's right. That's you know exactly what I'm saying? Right. That's right. Like, right. If he, here's a new Frank Sinatra record. Oh, with a remix of Summer Wind and, you know, uh, yeah, pour me another one, Joe. Whatever the hell. So, but... Uh, but in terms of classic records, oh, obviously a classic artist. I don't know if I would consider that a classic record. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I always loved when I was a kid going to Yankees games until they, I guess, shamed them into stopping. When the Yankees won, as everyone knows, yeah. they would play Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. But when they lost, they would play the Liza version. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> I swear to God. You can't say that I'm a sense of humor. I didn't even know that, man. It's so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Different, different optics, man. Different optics. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, so you're definitely right. New York, New York is an older song because if the movie came out in 76, 77, yep. Frank had a shot at it 78, 79. You were so right. To me, that is like a timeless classic. Right. And you could have told me that came out in 58. I right. would have went, yeah, cool. Of course it did. No, he recorded it in 1979. It came out on the album in 1980. That's You can listen to 80s countdowns from that era, and Strokes from the News is in there. I'm not, I cannot have that. Isn't that wild? That is one of those things you and I always argue about, yeah. how this cannot be in the 80s. If I heard New York, New York <laughs> on the 80s, on it, I, yeah. I would I would call the program program director immediately. That's so crazy. You would be you would be wrong. So let me see. Pink Floyd's "The Wall" came out in wow. in, in eighty one or eighty two. Wow. I'm trying to see. But that where... was fighting no, 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 Chris no, no, Cross. No, no. I'm sorry, maybe the movie did. No, "The Wall." The Wall was nominated for a album of the year against uh, Christopher Cross. Now I'm not the giant Pink Floyd stand, but but even Chris Christopher Cross might be going. Maybe I'll give my Grammy yeah. back. To the wall, Pink Floyd. Well, right? this is what we're saying. Sometimes, even if you don't personally respond to something, the fact that you don't personally respond to it, and yet you can still acknowledge that's just right. That's just the one that year. <clears throat> Although the Grammys have always been, I, I'm going to say it again, intersection of art and commerce, and they've always preferred people who play the game. And and that wasn't Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd didn't have a pure radio single. Now I know another Brick in the Wall number two was a huge hit single, but it's not a conventional radio single by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. And it took a while for that thing to get some legs, to keep it moving. I think they were coming off Dark Side of the Moon. And, and you know, The Wall, these conceptual albums, they take a while to catch fire. Yeah. You know, America's not like, oh, give me the Flash Queen record. I'm totally into it. It takes a while for them to, and let's be honest, as it's gotten, as time has gone by, The Wall's become bigger and bigger. But I'll tell you this, because I'm old enough to remember, Christopher Cross was going head-to-head, radio-wise, sales-wise, with Pink Floyd's Wall back then. That's why he won the Grammys, you know? In retrospect, we can always look back, hindsight's 2020, but uh, that was the time then I'm old enough to remember, you know? Seems crazy now, and it is. Yeah. But, you know, then it wasn't so. Billy Joel's Glass Houses had been released in 1985. Singles, I can't even say that I know the lead single, All for Lena, I don't know all for Lena, but the other singles. Uh, obviously, there was massive songs on that one. This is eighty-one, correct? Yeah. So you're looking at this. Well, the album came out. Be, yeah, the album came out in eighty. The, we're talking about the eighty-one Grammys. Okay, but it's, it's got to have still rock and roll to me on it, right? Still Doesn't rock it? and roll. Yeah. There's two other yeah. big singles off of this. Um, is it uh, "Love You Just the Way You Are"? No, I think that's seventies. Nope, nope, nope. Okay, um, a pressure. Uh, a, not pressure. I would have no. guessed pressure because this, that was an early MTV single that had, yeah. that had to, I was a kid. I was afraid of the music video where he falls into the shag carpet. So I, it was scary. Yeah. So that must've been the next album. The other two big singles, you may be right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Great and song. Don't ask me why. A great song, man. I mean, you know, and, and, and whether you're a Billy Joel fan or not, fan or not, the catalog of that man's uh, music is undeniable. And I'll tell you why. Because he's done it all. 
He's done Just Me at a Piano. He's done some rock and roll. He did New Wave. Still rock and roll to me is the most New Wave song of all time if you listen to the production. Right, and so it's funny because the, lyri the lyrics are about the opposite. That's right. About, about yeah, but, but, but being a New Wave song, which to me is genius. Like Rolling Stones Miss You is their answer to disco. But they don't miss disco at all. They hated it, you know. If you listen to Miss You, doo -doo 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 -doo, I've been holding it out so long. That four on the floor drums—that's their answer to disco. Miss oh, You. Oh, if if Mick hated disco that much, then what was he doing at Studio Fifty Four every every weekend? Keith may have hated. Oh no, disco. no, no! Mick, Mick, Mick loved disco. Yeah. There was another huge entity to that band, yeah, right. Who hated disco? Yeah, no, yeah, we'll get it twisted. And then Barbara Streisand. Yeah, Billy Joel. I I haven't actually crunched the numbers, but I don't think there's a more impressive solo hit maker that has ever lived who wrote his own material. I, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that because sometimes I never know where your contrarian stance stands, and it's always it's always uh, backed by intellectual sort of properties that are beyond my sort of uh, fragile eggshell mind. But I think you're right. Elton John could come close, but you have to have Bernie Toppin in as a lyricist. Yeah. You know, I'm talking straight up, sit down at a piano and write your song. In fact, so much so, he got bored writing pop music. He said so. I think his last record was The River in 1991 or something. And he, and he's, I, I was listening to Howard Stern. He goes, I just got tired of pop music. I'm like, what? What kind of music level are you on then? So he writes classical scores and all that. Yeah. Obviously, he needs a few bucks. And he's got to pay for the mortgage in the Hamptons. He'll go out with Elton John and do the tours and make the money and play the hits. But yeah. he, it's it's it bores him. It doesn't inspire him. That's yeah. how good he is. And he went out on top because the, that last single had, I think, three big, big, big hits. He was still on Saturday Night Live. And yeah. You didn't, and you didn't question why he was there. It wasn't a legacy thing. That's right. The River of Dreams, um, all about soul. In the soul. river of the night. Yeah. No, all da, about da, 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 soul. And there's a third one. There's a th uh, third and, one, too. Uh, it's a question of time. <laughs> and I say this once again as not a massive fan. Just respect where respect is is due. A, a, a titanic success. Now, I, as I've mentioned many times on air, was privileged to spend a little bit of time recording a, a radio session one week with Neil Diamond. And then the following week with Elton John and Neil Diamond told me to say hi to Elton John, which is the highlight of my life, telling Elton John, Neil Diamond says hi. Um, but what was the context of this? Why don't I know this? I know you've said it a million times. It was for serious. You know, they would be for for Neil Diamond. He had some new covers album coming out and I was there to coach okay. him through. I'm Neil Diamond. And we recorded this song and I was thinking about a girl who got me misty one time. You know, he was he was Neil Diamond, Neil Diamond through and through. And, that, and and I was so odd because everybody there was at his studio was is at the same studio since the 1970s. It's right over by Cedar Sinai. It's a time capsule. Uh -huh. Again, I'm not a huge fan. It was cool walking in there. Everybody is terrified of the man, even though they've all worked for him since the 70s. Sure, but mm -hmm. he he wanted to talk to me for some reason. So in between takes, he's like, Mike, do you do a lot of these? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm doing. <laughs> You're like, am I allowed to talk? Can I speak? <laughs> I asked if I could get him to sign a record, and they go, "We'll let you decide if you want to ask." Uh, but Neil ended up being, I guess, I caught him at a good moment, and I said, as a matter of fact, I'm doing one of these with Elton John in a couple of days. It was actually it was only like two or three days later. He's like, "Oh, you must tell him I say hello." So so awesome because oh when I'm around, God, Elton that's so fantastic. <laughs> I gotta tell you, your 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 impression is perfect, and I'll tell you why. Smash Mouth. Yeah. Okay. Has has a greatest story about Neil Diamond. Of course, they did. I'm a believer. 
had a gigantic hit with it. And uh, they decided, you know, uh, label mine said, let's get Neil Diamond and Smash Mouth together. So Smash Mouth is fantastic. Just like I would be. I'm Neil Diamond, my mom's favorite. I love Neil Diamond. They go, all right, we're going to write a song together. They walked into the probably same studio by Cedar Sinai you went to. Mm-hmm. And they're all excited because, you know, Smash Mouth's on the top of the world and their creative juices are flowing. And, you know, they've, they've got their finger on the pulse. And they walk in and Neil Diamond goes, I've got the song already. And once you hear that, when you're going to collaborate, a little bit of you dies. It's like my Pharrell experience with the Neptunes. I'll tell you yeah. about that someday. And he goes, here's the title. Bear with me. Let's make love for a week. Yep. And it started there mm-hmm. and just and spiraled into the core of the earth. That was the Smash Mouth experience with Neil Diamond. Now, them being the legend, the respectful people they are, they recorded the song. There's a Smash Mouth version of Let's Make Love for a Week somewhere in the universe. And I need that. I need to hear that. Yeah, this is from the man who brought you Turn On Your Heart Light, inspired by <laughs> by E.T. E.T., of course, which I love that song. <laughs> so I actually told the Smash Mouth, I go, he's kind of known for his titles that, you know, Forever in Blue Jeans, they're not, not all necessarily right on the button titles. They go, how's the song? They go, the song is just, you know, it wasn't what we were hoping for. Let's put that everybody loses that that golden touch at at some point and 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 what a run even paul mccartney did yeah even paul mccartney did but so you know and like you said you said about billy joel billy joel kind of went out like an athlete did dude i think billy joel delivered one last great record and might have said he certainly has admitted that he's over pop music Mm -hmm. never got forced in releasing another record and he peaked and went out as Barry Sanders, you know? He never went to the Washington Wizards, you know? No, and, and, and he had a, a, a tidy 20-year run from the early 70s mm-hmm. to the early 90s, which is, again, in terms of the the longevity of that, you put that up against just about anyone. For some weird reason, because Neil Diamond and Elton John are linked together, in my mind, since I interacted with both of them very close to one another— Somehow along the way of doing those, I found out that they are, in some order, the number two and number three biggest hit makers of the 1970s. I've probably asked you this before, but do you know who number one is? She was nominated for the Best Album Grammy in 1981. Oh, she would have to be, uh, she would have to be the, the biggest hit maker? That's what I, That's what somebody told me. I don't know. Isn't that I crazy? Can't, I mean, I can't, is it Madonna? No, 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 no. The 1970s. Oh, 70s hit maker. Yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry, a, a sorry, female, sorry if I misspoke. A female hit maker from the 1970s, if let's say Neil Diamond's number two and Elton John's number three, who's number one? Isn't it crazy that there's not an obvious answer to that? It's insane. And when I hear it, I'm going to go, oh, of course. Yes, right? you are. Yes, you it, are. So it's not Linda Ronstadt. No, it sure is not. not no. um, Go ahead. I don't know. It is Barbara Streisand. It's Barbara Streisand. And of course it is. Isn't that Because I don't think of her. I don't think of her as a pop star. I know. You know what I'm I saying? Know. And that's why I, I immediately, she wasn't even in the room. I know. Of people I was thinking about. Because to me, she's Broadway. She's, you know, a bossy. She's an actress. Mm-hmm. But I forget, because I was there. Yeah. She was a gigantic pop star in the 70s. And don't forget, back then in the 70s, you can get everybody with a song like, memories like the corner in my mind that was a top that was number one i think uh that and that in the 80s i don't think would have the same legs in the 90s you wouldn't even heard that song you know i think 
No, right, that's right. So in 1980, she did this album with, that was her turn with the Gibbs and indeed the cover of the with album the Bee Gees. that she's, it's a Streisand album, but the cover is the Bee Gees hugging her. her. Well, you know, you have, you have to, Barry Gibbs, such a beautiful looking man. I believe Barry's shirt's off if I'm in, if I'm correct. They were on clothed the at the time of the photograph. <laughs> They were <laughs> maybe by the end of the photograph, things had changed yeah. by the photo shoot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, why not put, you know, the A, the biggest sex symbol in the world on your cover yeah. and B, the guy wrote, I'm going to assume 80% of that record, if I can be so bold. I mean, that was one underrated songwriter, Barry Gibb, man. You and I have talked about that before, but my God, the song, the, this, the masterpieces that man's been a part of. And I know disco's tainted a lot of their legacy. And to me, I'm glad to see as we get farther away from disco, the Bee Gees are becoming more important, you know. Um, but as songwriters, they were untouchable. And certainly Barry Gibb was the leader of that. He, the only other person I can think of is Prince, where I would be very, very interested if somebody could be bothered to figure out the, act, the actual chronology of when they're in their absolute prime then he wrote this one. Then he, then he wrote this one for himself. And then he wrote this one that went to Barbara Streisand. Then he wrote this one that went to his alter ego. Then he wrote this one because the number of hits that come out of this one person, they themselves are massive hit makers and they're establishing people and giving them career highlight albums left and right. I actually want to see the songs you wrote that year in order because it would just be absolutely Stunning. And obviously you need to be working fairly quickly. Like when you hear Paul McCartney talking about, yeah, I took a train to Germany. And when I got there, I had, Hey Jude, like, right. You can't be spending right. two months right. on any one of those songs. Obviously. No, there's a bit of a factory there yeah. or a rhythm or he found his muse. I, you obviously haven't seen the doc, the Bee Gees documentary, correct? No, YouTube swears. I want to watch it. I, I swear you want to watch it because yeah. it's answering this very question. In 1977, as big as the Bee Gees were, there was that gigantic bash, backlash six months later right. where the Bee Gees had trouble getting their own stuff played on the radio. Mm -hmm. Like they literally would send things to radio stations and not say who it was, but it sounds so much like the Bee Gees. They said, forget it. So that's when they started giving the songs to Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, 7980, Barbara Streisand. That's when this whole thing starts to be just like Diane Warwick. Yeah. That's when I was like, all right, if we can't, we, we know these are classics. They won't let us do it. We'll start giving them to these other artists. It really, really goes into depth about that. And they were brokenhearted because they're like, this is just the same stuff we had just written. And we just, everybody hates us. We just, we went on tour and like social media didn't exist then. So they literally said, we went on the Saturday Night Fever tour and there was 18,000 people screaming every night, mostly girls, you know, we thought we were the biggest band in the world. We didn't know the other 91% of the men of the world hated us. Mm -hmm. And so there was this weird dichotomy that that band experienced when they were gigantic in the arena. The second they got out of there, you guys suck. And they were getting agony in the limos. So they went home and licked their wounds and said, we'll write some number ones for other artists. And there you go. I read an article about Nickelback sometime in the last five years, and they made that point that Chad Kroger's life is every morning when he's in a touring cycle, every morning is going on the local FM morning show and taking his shots as, they, as the local DJ makes jokes about you're the most hated band in the world. 
And then he, in that same town, gets up on stage that night and plays for 25,000 people. And then right. he goes to the next town. And the local DJ makes jokes about how everyone says Nickelback sucks. And then he sells out the arena there. It's a very, very funny niche that a, a handful of bands have found themselves in. And he and he's he's done the right thing. There's there, there's no fighting city hall with that one. Yeah. You need to embrace that. Make fun of yourself because I always say because you know Sugar Ray's been in that situation. It sure. continues to be in that situation. Sure. When you know the joke or you know the punchline, you don't tell someone the joke. You know what I mean? When someone's in on it and they can laugh at themselves, not only is your shit already over about let's make fun of these guys, now you're like, oh, God, I kind of like this motherfucker. You know what I mean? Yep. And so uh, Chad Nickelback have had a great way of doing that. Now, they, they're never going to get over, you know, the, they're just people that get, well, people have just made their lifestyle, I hate Nickelback. Yeah. You know what I mean? So those people always exist. But they've made a fine career for themselves. Would Chad, would Chad Kroger accept... Say they've sold 50 million records around the world, which I think is close. Would he accept, I'd rather said sell 5 million and be loved? I don't know. I mean, that's a question we have to pose Chad, you know? I doubt it because the proof is in the pudding. And he, I, I've been led to believe, I forget who I talked to. Maybe it was the guy from Aaron from Stained about, uh -huh. oh, are you friends with them? And, you know, kind of poking at, well, what, do you actually like them? To try to get the little right. gotcha moment. Sure. And I think what I've heard is he's almost like what what Mutt Lang is behind the board is what Chad Kroger is in front of the mic. At a certain point, you realize what you are and you say, I want to fine tune this and I want to figure out the formula that makes the biggest, most successful, highest selling piece of music I am capable of, of making. And that's my goal. That's what drives me. Because if Chad Kroger cared at all about credibility, he could have waited till his bank account got to $50 million and then done something stripped down and raw and tried his Chris Gaines thing yeah. or whatever. And he's never shown any any interest in doing that whatsoever. Instead, he marries his own Shania Twain, Avril Lavigne, and tries to <laughs> and gives her Nickelback songs. Well put, well put. But there is, at the end of the day, man, I don't care who you are, every lead singer, they want to be liked. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a tears of a clown thing. You go out there, and all of a sudden, you know the position you're in. And you either embrace it or you don't, because you can't fight City Hall. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I think Chad Kroger did an amazing job of that. But I think there's a little bit, you know, I, hey, here's the problem. And, and I share, I share it with, with Chad and Nickelback. There's been no new Nickelback since Nickelback. There's been no douchebag guys since Mark McGrath and Sugar Ray. Mm. The, the record industry imploded, so we're all kind of the Bambies looking at the water while the crocodiles come up and smash our heads and take us underwater because there's been no new ones because the record industry stopped. Ah. So the douchebaggery of the douchebag rock and roll bands, maybe the douchebag, I mean, look, there's been a couple of Adelaine that have come along and done their thing, but you know what I mean? I, I, I'll switch pages. Uh, plays with Adam Bleen immediately, and most people would. But you know, there's not there that they and they also stopped making gigantic rock bands too. You can look at it the exact opposite way. So we're kind of stuck in this time vacuum, but we will always be the bullseye of the lame band, uh, the douchey lead singer, the highlighted guy. You know, so it's an interesting thing to be a part of because a they keep talking about you because you're still the guy, you're still the shared joke, but there's nothing new coming, so you might always well be. 
the share of Joe. Does that uh, make sense, Tully? Wait till Takashi Six Nine stops making songs <laughs> that chart. <laughs> that guy might be erasing the hole. If he can stay, he might if be, he can, man. If he can stay alive. <laughs> Yeah, if you can stay alive. <laughs> I know they've really upped the ante. I mean, look, people might want to punch me in the face, but I don't think anybody wants to kill me yet. Though I've got received a few death letters in my uh, my life. You haven't lived to receive a few of those. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about some of the most ludicrous decisions ever handed down by the Grammys. And this is low-hanging fruit, as you say. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yada, yada, yada. We say it all with a grain of salt. It's just interesting the times that they blew it in historically horrific fashion and i'm going all the way back on this 1967 let me tell you who was not nominated for the best rock and roll recording who was eligible and think about that year man i know I, go ahead sorry no what, yeah, go, go ahead. no please what about 1967 so you got no no i yeah. was just gonna say 67 i mean that was the summer of love in san francisco yeah. it, it was uh you know i i, I just off the top of my i, mean, I could think of the Probably the best period ever, uh, excluding for me and you's personal content, the late 80s, in American rock music. Yeah, right. You know, that, that sweet spot. Of the go so go ahead. Right. So you got to remember with the Grammys, if you really know your stuff, there's always going to be about a year's worth of lag because they're, mm -hmm. they're voting on the stuff that happened that was released the year before. But to the best of my knowledge, the Animals had released We Gotta Get Out of This Place, not nominated. The Rolling Stones had released Paint It Black, not nominated. The nominees for the best rock and roll recording in 67, a song I have recently developed a bit of a fondness for, Cherish by The Association. Oh, The Association. It's one of the all-time beautiful songs. So oh, good, right? I, I, and they're, they're, from, they're from Claremont, California, too, so there's sort of a local thing. I, I think that's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Cherish, oh, and there's, you know, when it goes, I'm beginning to think there's no way a man could. I mean, the way as a songwriter, the way that keeps building, yeah, I love that. Those are fight words for me, dude. I love that song. And 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 I think it, I think it won, didn't it? It did not. It did not. It, it it would have been ridiculous if it had, but not as ridiculous as who who did win. Spoiler alert: This is the first okay. one and probably the worst one. Yeah, I don't. I, sometimes I think with these songs that they just occupy this sort of corner of my mind that I heard it a couple times when I was a kid, and that I didn't hear it again until like four months ago. And those have a real special power for me. But yeah, I I, I think I shazammed Cherish by Association, and now it's just in my playlist. And it's 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 wordy in such a funny way that you would nobody would ever write I, lyrics with cramming in that many syllables. Like there's like double negatives, or he's just like, I'm not totally. sure that I shouldn't say that I love you. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm beginning to think that man has never found the right phrase that would make me want to say yeah. to give the right just amount of letters, just the right sounds. I mean, it's it's like, but it's it's nerd rock. It's Weezer. In the 60s, you know, and and it's also some of the best harmonies. And also, uh, you know that song, uh, Never My Love, Never My Love. It's another great song by them. Cherish and Never My Love are two of the most beautiful songs ever written. I'm going to play. And it's all wordy, yeah. man, the, never find, you would never know. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. it's like a big loop. <laughs> I'm going to play a bit of it because I'm not sure everybody knows even what we're talking about, but everybody will once they oh. hear it. To, do, you, do you think everybody has a working knowledge of Cherish by the Association? Am I underestimating people? I think people? they don't. I, I think the second you play it, they will. It's one of those songs. Exactly. 
Cherish is the word that more than applies. <laughs> more than applies. Like I shouldn't even use the word yeah. because it's not appropriate yeah. for the situation. I'm selling my feelings <laughs> short here. Yeah, it's so, such a such a sweet, sweet song and such a sweet reflection of the era. And it's just so easy to get this 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 binary um, memory of there's this stupid disposable saccharine AM pop, and here comes rock and roll to keep it real. Well. Pour a little out for the the dumb silly AM rock as well because it it had its place. Yeah, no, because there was bands like you know Incense, you know Strawberry Alarm Clock, and and uh, you know Herman's Hermits that were still keeping alive that AME, yeah. you know, just that what became a, a, a adult contemporary. Let's be honest, yeah. you know, kind of dentist chair rock if you're old enough to remember, mm -hmm. you know. Um, other nominees for Best Rock and Roll Recording, 1967, Monday Monday by the Mamas and the Papas. Beautiful one. Yep, last train produced by Lou Lou uh, Lou Adler produced oh, production. He? Yeah, Lou Adler. I always bring up Lou because I know his son Nick, mm -hmm. who you know they run the Rainbow, the whiskey, and all that stuff. Sure. And, and Lou Lou's famous for turning down the doors. He he said, "Nah, I don't hear anything." <laughs> they weren't the most obvious. Got the mom as a pop. They weren't the most obvious pop act in in retrospect. No, that's true. Maybe he just didn't want to hang out with Jim Morrison, and who could blame him for that? That too. Monday, Monday by the Mamas and the Papas. Last train to Clarksville by the Monkees. I didn't realize they had. Yeah, a... see that to me, to me that 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 could be a left out. Okay. That that there's a little bit of obviously a novelty associated with yeah. that, just because of the the very DNA of that song and being in a TV show. Yeah. And I think it's one of the weaker of, of the ones you've not you, you've you've stated. And of songs that weren't nominated, it's uh, almost a travesty. Who wrote that? Do you know? Let's see. You think it was Neil Diamond? monkeys did i don't know about that let's see um good vibrations by the beach boys was nominated um, that didn't win that did not win hold on who wrote last train to clarksville was yeah, written by tommy boyce and bobby hart a songwriting team tommy that wrote, boyce and bobby hart. yeah that wrote several monkeys hits the names do not mean anything yeah. to me. right gotcha gotcha I think they were jingle guys too, and then got fell into the cartoon thing. I could see that. But think of think of good vibrations was nominated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I don't I, as a as as a masterpiece of a song. I mean, I'm just curious what beat these songs. You know, nominated but did not win. Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. <laughs> hey, by the way. What a year for music, man. Yeah. We say it every year. Oh, my God. Yeah, the voters might want to have this one back. The winner of in this category, are you familiar with Winchester Cathedral by New Vaudeville Band? I am familiar with that only because now I know this is uh, – I read a book about, you know, Grammy upsets, and this is just like, you know – I don't even know what to say about this. Yeah. Play the song. Right, right, right. Okay, here we go. Well, 
The only thing I can think of, Tony, is that there was kind of a tiny Tim resurgence back then uh-huh. with, you know, vocals like, uh, you know, and like they were obviously going for that, you know, you know, and it was almost such a novelty that it, that is why it won, you know, like it's groovy, it's swinging, man, it's stony. And, and I haven't heard that song since the last time I looked it up. And the only time I heard before that was, in 1967. Yeah, all that you know sounds I mean? like to me is when I watch some poorly dated comedy from the era, the soundtracks frequently sound like that. That's all that is to me. Or every commercial from 1967 on the on the radio or TV sounded like that. Now I'm wondering if there wasn't some tie-in, Parliament Cigarettes, Winchester Cathedral, it was... It was you know what I'm saying? I have absolutely no idea that because that song and that band have left zero imprint on the cathedral, on, on the culture. I I listened, my mom listened to the, the CBS FM, Cousin Brucey, all that stuff. That guy's local yeah. to us. That was that stuff is obviously that classic pop resonates throughout the culture, but I feel like in the Northeast, like that's a particularly big thing. I, I don't think I've ever heard that song before in my entire life. They don't play that one. Has your, ha, had your mom ever heard that song? I would be curious if I played that for my mom, if she has any recollection of that whatsoever. I, I, I don't, my guess would be. Yeah. Cause cousin Brucey was a curator of all that. We had K earth out here, which was a similar thing. I have never heard that song played on a radio. Yeah. I've heard it out of curiosity because I knew it was the biggest upset ever. But yeah. man, I don't care if you pick Randy Van Warmer, Best New Artist. There is no no Grammy that ever got it more wrong than a 1967 song of the year. Unless it was the 1969 song of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I set you up so well. <laughs> Could you imagine sitting in the crowd as, uh, you know, Mike Love and friends and, you know, you got the Beatles in there and, uh, you know, the associations there happen to be there. But like the, the long shots, but at least the song was a classic. And you got the Winchester Cathedrals in there. What was the name again? The Rifles or Cathedrals? It's the new vaudeville, I think, is the act. And the song is Win- Winchester Cathedral. I wonder if the new vaudevilles were part of the new vaudeville minstrels that Barry McGuire came out of. And he sang that song, tell me over and over again, it's just a thing. It's just the eve of destruction. It was a big song in the 60s. But it was new vaudeville. They might have been the new vaudeville minstrels. So there might have been a, 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 a... they might have been known already. I, I'm stretching here. I'm trying to figure out how this exists in the world. That's all. Is a British novelty group established by oh, the song's composer. The only thing that I can say to explain what was going on is rock and roll is the barbarians storming the gates, and the Grammys are still the standard bearers. They're the people who live it up in the ivory tower, and having read Bill Wyman's very weird and very weirdly specific memoir of his time with the Rolling Stones, it was very outrageous to people when the Rolling Stones had hair that half covered their ears. That was was obscene to people. And, you know, my mother 
remembers has told me she watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and her mother sitting there going, oh, oh, oh. Like, it's just right. as if Guar had duetted with Gigi Allen on Sunday night. <laughs> right, like, it is the end of civilization, as we know. This is, only, like, this is only two years later. So the fact that they were nominated right. is maybe the, the Beatles and the Mamas and the Papas, maybe the fact that they were nominated when everybody knew they were going to show up on acid was remar- was more remarkable than the fact that they lost. I don't know. Maybe, but there had to be enough people in on the joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, the, now we're saying that the Grammys are just limited to a few people that – that really are in charge of the nominations and uh, winners, wink, wink. 1969 Song of the Year. I've never been clear on Song of the Year, Record of the Year. I, I've never understood the Grammy uh, categories and, and how they distinguish between the two, but we're talking Song One, of the Year. One, I know this. Okay. I, I know this, I, I, if I could be so bold. Please. I know it's either the record or, or Song of the Year is for the artist and uh, possibly the songwriter. Record of the Year includes a producer songwriter, artist, you know, there's, there's a few more people involved behind the scenes from what I understand. So the Grammy voters are able to distinguish what song was successful because of the producer and what song was successful because of the artist who wrote the song. That's exactly right. Because they feel, you know, that they have an uh, heightened sense of awareness of uh, what's creative and what isn't. Gotcha. 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 So song of the year nominees, Tom T. Hall, Harper Valley PTA. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> Harper Valley PTA. Yeah. Oh yeah, Harper Valley PTA. It was uh, it was done by a, a maybe like a Loretta Lynn or something like that a little later in the seventies, and it was a big hit. Okay. Yeah. Um, Paul Simon was nominated for writing Mrs. Robinson. Okay, that's fair because I like the the movie tie-in and all that. Absolutely, I understand the graduate. That. Yeah, Lennon McCartney. Although obviously we're talking about Paul McCartney, were nominated for "Hey Jude." Okay, and you might have thought one Bobby Russell would have split the Bobby Russell vote by having two songs (laughs) nominated for Song of the Year. (laughs) You got to be kidding me, dude! You've got to be kidding me. Yep, but Little Green Apples what are by, the songs? by Bobby Russell. I think he was a country artist. I saw he was nominated for quite a few things in 1969. Little Green Apples by Bobby Russell beat out Honey by Bobby Russell and Tom T. Hall and Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles with Hey Jude. And does that, does that... You know what? There might have been some kind of country thing. Going. Tom T. Hall is a country artist. Yeah. He had a song called I Like Babies When They Cry, ba 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 ba. And it was like a little, not, it was a big hit in the 70s. So I think this is when, this is 69, right? So yeah. Johnny Cash has his variety show on. This is when Bob Dylan joins Johnny Cash. It was a big moment when country and rock kind of bridged the gap. So I think 69 was going, oh, look how Graham Parsoned out we are. Okay. We're all country rock. And this is my, because this makes no sense, you know, and just in, in, in looking back with 2020 clear vision, as we always do, I'm trying to think of why there was a country artist no one's ever heard of nominated and a peripheral one at best nominated, you know, and that one was nominated twice. And there's um, Harper about what there was another song in there that's kind of a country song, right? There, no, no, no. Hey, Jude. What was the other one? Tom T. Hall. Hey, Jude. Simon and Garfunkel. 
and the two yeah. the two Bobby Russells. Okay. You want to hear the Bobby Russell? So three of those are country songs. Yes. yes. So there was a real country leaning, easy rider. We're all going to wear these nudie suits and pretend we're the Eagles, which, which was coming. This sort of troubadour Eagles meets uh, Linda Ronstadt sort of aesthetic that was coming. This is the only way I can explain yeah. 1969. Right. Now, you, to, I, you were right. I thought 67 could never be beat. 69 murdered 1967. Yeah, Bobby Russell saying, hold my schlitz. <laughs> oh, my God. Did he ever? Warm my heart and see my morning sun. And if that's not loving me, then all I've got to say, God didn't make little green apples, and it don't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime. There's no such thing as doctors, Disneyland, Mother Goose, there's no nursery. Do you think that man finished that song and said, you know what, guys? We got a shot at a Grammy this year. <laughs> you know, I'm, do you think he thought that? You know what I mean? It is so bizarre. And talk about another song that never got heard from again after 1969. Yeah. You know, you and I are big radio guys. Yeah. We listen to the radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you, is there any explanation for, I, again, it must be, it must have been like the sixes are a lot of things about it's in the air, man. You know, like it can, and that, it's the only way I can explain it. And, it, and I, I didn't want to think about the songs that were not nominated in '69. Yeah. You know, going through, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix from from uh, the Doors to like just when you had Stones, you go on and on. Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin came in '69. I think uh, so did Black Sabbath. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. And and so these these ridiculous calls they fall into one of two categories. Obviously one is it was really, really big at the time. And then it just went away and everybody forgot that it ever happened. Or there's the people got a little too cute and thought that they had figured something out. And yeah. that they were going to be a year ahead of the game and everybody guessed wrong about where the culture was going. It wasn't exactly what I was expecting. That was more of a, uh, what's his name? Harry Nielsen. Harry Nielsen. Yeah. 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 But, but you know, it's weird. Like, I understand what you're saying where something got really big and disappeared. Like La Macarena was really big and then disappeared. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But you remember it and it <laughs> shows your chart, but it shows a chart positioning and you have some sort of recall or reference point for what that, these songs, there's zero. And never mind the ones that were nominated. Those ones you're like, I mean, besides, you know, the, the Beatles and, and, and Paul Simon, yeah, the, the Tom T Hall song, I, I, I couldn't even tell you, you know? And I, I, I the Bobby, what's the name again? Bobby Joyce? Wait, I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. Bobby Russell is who we are talking about. It says, okay, his version. Why are there so many other versions? I see a Roger Miller version, a Patty Page version, an O.C. Smith version. Turns out Robbie Williams recorded that with Kelly Clarkson. I'm just trying to see where the the original landed. I don't see any evidence that it was a hit song. I know. Did it have to be a hit? Were there some kind of different sort of protocol or, or uh, that, that made it eligible? You, you know, I mean, who heard that in 1969 and said, let's nominate not only that, but have you heard his other classic called, what was the other one called? <laughs> Honey, I think is the other one. The guy got nominated twice. Okay. So you're telling me this. 
He was a superstar artist in 1969 because he was nominated twice and none of us have ever heard of him before in our life. How's that possible? I'll read you the first, most of the first paragraph of the Wikipedia entry for the song. According to blah, 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 he wrote both the songs Honey and Little Green Apples as an experiment in composing, anticipating a potential market for true-to-life story songs with more meat in the lyrics than was standard for current hits. He might have been right about that. He wrote the song Little Green Apples for Roger Miller to record. Roger Miller made a recording and released it as a lead single from an album. It was... It was Roger Miller's final country and Western hit. It hit number six on the country and Western charts, and it reached number 39 on the Hot 100. So I don't even think the songwriter released a version of it. Is He's the songwriter of this oh. song that was a non-hit for somebody else. Gotcha. I mean, so this was record of the year or song of the year? We are talking about, according to my notes, song of the year. Yes, he is the, okay, he's song, the song, song, song of the year is the one where the songwriter and the engineer and all that can be. You don't have to be the artist to do it because, yeah. as we're saying, this guy never released it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny when the guy kind of comes with that. You know, I think we had some more songs with meat on the bones when Bob Dylan already existed and it was existing pretty well during that time. Good point. But listen, the guy sat down with the guitar and just. I'm going to believe he wrote both those songs in one day. I'm going to, I'm going to gather to say that probably recorded them too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Bobby Hall, bless him. Yeah. Bobby Hall, soccer player, hockey player, uh, Bobby, Bobby Bryce. Bobby, right? uh, no, uh, Bobby Russell's who we're talking about here. Bobby Russell, Bobby Russell. So Bobby Russell's got himself in the annals of history as not only having an Oscar, but uh, as an incredible songwriter who never wrote it. Yep. Who never wrote it. The rest as they say is almost entirely forgotten history. That's just that's just fun. They must have changed the rules or something because well, I, don't, I don't know if they did because because I don't recall like random guys I've never heard of winning, uh, w um, winning a song because they wrote a song for Tony Braxton. You know what I mean? I don't think it's it, it's happened since the Grammys have become must see view. Right. Usually if somebody's going to win a, a, a Grammy as for a song they wrote, but didn't perform, they're going to be a name brand songwriter. Like a Linda Perry might win for writing stuff for pink because Linda Perry's Linda Perry. Exactly. And guess what? Pink is going to go up there and accept the award with her. You, you know what right. I mean? Even though pink, I'm sure collaborated, but there, there would be say a, well, you know, if a Britney Spears happened to win, you know, a Max Martin would go up with Britney. So I think they've changed the optics of how these awards would look, at least the awards that mean something to people, you know? Yeah. Fast forwarding all the way to 1979, taking a look at the best new artist category. And this is, as we've discussed before, the place where there's the most margin for error. Somebody who seems like they're showing up and, 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 and you should be, thinking about someone's potential when you talk about, you know, the best new artist, you're saying this is somebody we're going to be giving the big awards to it's rookie of the year. We're going to be giving big awards to this person three, four or five years from now. Do you know who it should be called the Bryce Russell award in, uh, in, <laughs> in tribute, you know, do you know who Chris, Chris Ray or Raya is from 1979? Yeah. Chris Ray is a, um, a English performer who uh, gained some quite notor uh, notoriety over here for a song called um, 
Wait, maybe I'm getting it wrong. It's Krista Berg. I am getting it That's wrong. That's the lady in Lady in red. red. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But Chris Ray is an English guy, isn't he? I don't know. I'm thinking of Carolyn Ray, who's the, the stand-up comic who did some sitcom work. Yeah. She's and she's wonderful too. Nicest person in the world. Love Carolyn. Uh, Chris Ray. I'm looking up right now because no, I'm, I'm I'm was he nominated that year in '79? Yeah, he was nominated for his, on the strength of his 1978 single "Fool If You Think It's Over," which reached number 12. Oh yeah. What song's that? Fool if you think it's over. Okay, right. Chris Array, English rock and blues singwriter. See, I had the English part right. Yeah. And I know the song. This is a good song right here. Okay. Uh, also nominated Toto, although I don't think Toto had reached their later pop heights at this point. I love the way you say Toto. <laughs> I love it. But, but Toto, <laughs> dare I say, was not a new artist in 79. Were they? Well, the, was it Hold the Line Gigantic? Well, now, and- hold on. The Grammys are famous for this. I'm a little bit of a fan of Shelby Lynn, who won a Best yeah. New Artist Grammy for, I think, her third album. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, no, they are. They they take liberties in their best new. Yeah, artists. new to us is is new to everybody. I wouldn't even been surprised if Tori Amos may have also gotten in that in that action at at some point. That Shelby Lynn record that got nominated, by the way. There's some really fun stuff on. I think the album's just called "My Name Is Shelby Lynn." Toto is the band. <laughs> <laughs> Their debut album was released in 1978 and it held All right. hits, so, hit singles such as Hold the Line. Yeah. Hold the Line was a single, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold the Line. Yep. yep. The Cars made their debut in 1978 Ooh, and were nominated in 1979. Best New Artist nominee, not winner, also Elvis Costello. Strong. Yeah. Strong year. Right. But apparently the. The powers that be had not yet gotten the word that disco was dead because they awarded okay. the best new artist to the immortal A Taste of Honey. Wow. And look, I, I, I like me uh, some boogie oogie oogie like the next guy. But, <laughs> exactly. But but you, but you know what I mean? I mean, t- that, it was so obviously going the way of the uh, dinosaur then, you know, 79 and you're, you're 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 deep into disco then. You're deep into the backlash of it too. And to think the taste of honey might be the band that's going to carry this this mantle into the '80s. That 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 was a long shot when you're looking at the cars. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that's uh. But again, this the best new artist has always been that that one category that makes no sense to anybody at any time. In fact. I remember artists during my my era not wanting to win it because it was a bit of like being on the cover of Madden for football. Yeah. You were bound to get injured. And you're never going to play again. You know, it was like a weird, like uh, uh, scarlet letter you didn't want to get, though I would have gladly taken it. Right. And it's possible because there were three rock acts, the Cars, Toto, and this Chris Rea guy that maybe they split the let's vote for somebody who's actually doing something with a bit of, you know, that's interesting musically that they split that vote and that left the one pop act standing. Everybody knows this song, but if you don't remember it by title, this is the immortal boogie oogie oogie by a taste of honey.
Yeah, I'd rather listen to that. Well-crafted song, man. <laughs> I'd rather listen to that than listen to Toto. I don't mind telling you. Uh, that's a well-crafted song. And, and if, if, if I'm going to think back to where I was there in 79 or where they were, you're right about Chris Ray, uh, uh, Chris Ray, uh, the Cars and Elvis Costello splitting all that weird new wave votes because there was no hits between those three. I know it was kind of incredible to think about that. This was a top five hit. You know, so back then they were still being commercial. They were still commercializing. And if you put a couple of eight balls in my pocket, mm-hmm. I'll give you some more airplay for Taste of Honey. You know what I mean? So there were still some kind of shenanigans and chicanery going on back then at the labels um, that probably boosted this song to win the best new artist. That, you know? that, that was something that also occurred to me. So much money was made and spent and enjoyed by disco in the record industry it's not that hard to somebody to imagine somebody going you know if i wanted to be lester bangs i'd be in a different business yeah that's great that a bunch of college boys are doing stuff that really makes you think have you seen the three cars i bought this year with this right. fucking song, you know, I, I love the story. I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna repeat it again from the classic book, Hitmen, where at Casablanca Records, the big disco label, also Kiss's label, somebody's walking around one day and said, "I just opened the mail. I have a check for a million dollars. Who gets this?" And nobody knows who the check is for or what it's for. In 1977 dollars. So, so you could see. I mean, you know. And by the way, that song was already a hit. And after it won its Grammy, it was going to make some more money, yeah. get some more play, you know, as opposed to let's let the, let's let the English guy in and like, let's, you know, let's let's still keep working on his career, ironically, looking back. So you can see why someone might have put the easy bet on Case uh, Honey, because after all, it is the business of music, yep. not the business of friends. No, that's right. Fast forward all the way to 1989. This is easily the most notorious Grammy misfire of my lifetime. I think this might have been the year that they introduced the best hard rock or heavy metal category. It was the first year and why it got the most blowback because I believe they called it the heavy metal category. You know, it was finally heavy metal got its due. We finally got in. It's 89. Okay, what do we got? Iggy Pop was nominated i don't know what he was doing i don't think it was his most essential work but iggy pop was i guess maybe in their infinite lack of wisdom the grammy people wanted to include some heavy metal people that they'd been hearing about all these years since heavy metal was finally half of the category so who could be more heavy metal than the father of proto-punk iggy pop so iggy got a lifetime achievement nominee nomination with an album yeah it's an album called cold metal acdc blow up your video is nominated i can't say i remember that one that must have been the one after the thunderstruck razor's edge stuff it was it was yep Yep. metallica not a solid work not solid acdc right 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 metallica this is the one that everybody remembers metallica having having been I don't even know how to describe where they were in the culture before Enter Sandman, where anybody with a clue about music who heard them, whether they responded to it or not, was well aware that this was a band that was doing serious, important, substantial, great work. And they hadn't even been eligible. There wasn't even a category that could encompass them. And finally there was. And so for Injustice for All, they were nominated, along with, I didn't know this, Jane's Addiction for Nothing Shocking. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and you said something very, you know, uh, astute. The fact that Metallica, you know, I mean, people still looked at them as a garage band, and they were playing arenas around the world. I mean, talk about getting no respect. There wasn't a radio station that would touch them for miles. There wasn't a an MTV wouldn't even look twice at them. So for them to have exalted this music into multiple nights and multiple cities, multiple arenas, and and couldn't and couldn't get any couldn't get in and and to into uh, Rolling Stone, you know what I mean? So it was a, it was a, the real chance for them to shine. Jane's Addiction, that record's amazing. It was just too early, yeah. you know. Iggy Iggy Pop was the hey, we love you. You've been around forever. You finally made a record that was listenable for most of us. Yeah, put on a shirt uh, we'll put and come on there. down to the auditorium. Yeah, right. And the other people didn't know Jethro Tull released a record. Jethro Tull were the notorious winners of the best hard rock or heavy metal Grammy in 1989. The album was called Crest of a Knave. Now, this may not apply to you. It occurred to me when I was putting this together, I had never even heard the song or the album that Jethro Tull won a Grammy for. I just knew that it was stupid because who the hell ever thought of Jethro Tull as a hard rock act, much less a heavy metal one. Plus they were 15 years past their heyday. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't even know they had a record out, you know, and, 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 and why them and why then? And like, and like, like of all bands, like it, it, it was a, a, a dismal, it was dismal failure commercially. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't played on radio, wasn't played at MTV, and MTV was everything, man. MTV was really moving the Grammys and vice versa. There was a real synchronicity between the two there. Uh, it, it, it's still the most, besides Bobby Bryce, man, <laughs> it is, you know, now that I learned about that motherfucker, it is still, you know, I, was, can I ask a question? Did Ian Anderson show up to that? That's a really, really, really good question. Let me look into that while I share a sample of this song. As far as I can tell, this was the quote-unquote big single from that album. This is embarrassing, man. The song is called Kissing Willie. <laughs> of course it is. And I think everybody knows what Willie is more often slang for in the UK than it is in America. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's not just that Jethro Tull beat Metallica. This is what beat Metallica. She shows her leg, shows it damn well. Knows how to drive a man right back to being a child. Yeah. Well, she's a nice girl, but her bad girl's better. I can read it in her cheating eyes and know it in a while. Well, she'll be kissing it sounds like the phrasing was recorded off time to that song. It's so bad. It sounds like a band that just wants to go on tour up. We better make a record. Like there's no thought to that. It's not even a song. Yeah, agreed. It's barely an album track. And I think that was, they put it on a greatest hits album. So it's, it's something I'm trying to find a picture. I thought I had seen a picture of what is his name? Ian something or other. The Jethro Tell guy. Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson, it didn't, didn't, weren't Metallica on stage somehow and didn't Lars say something very Lars-ish about it? Or I, maybe I'm thinking he did after. No, I can, I'm, Someone, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at a still of that. I can't find a picture of him with the, uh, with the Grammy, but it's even more ludicrous to think that they would have said the Grammy goes to Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull can't be here tonight, so accepting in their stead is just <laughs> right. his flute instructor. Like it's Metallica. 
I'm wondering who who uh, you know who were the ones that uh, were the presenters of that. That's that's got me uh, thinking twice. Something happened in that where everybody just kind of went, "What?" Yeah, like there was a collective groan in the arena or wherever it was. It was might, might have been the Shrine Auditorium. Uh, I don't know, that, that, that's that's a deep dive all by itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I it's, it, I think. I'm looking at a still photo of a a shocked-looking Alice Cooper and Lita Ford, which leads me to believe that they may have been presenting the thing. And I'm seeing still photos, yes, of Lars okay. doing something Larsy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice Cooper presented it. I opened the envelope. I saw the name. Everyone in that room was certain Metallica would win. Everyone thought it was a joke. Yeah, I, I I know you're you're right. Lars got a shot in on yeah. stage in a microphone. I believe that same night, but everybody will have to go find that for themselves. Something about like you know like well, if we're gonna lose to a band, I'm glad we lost to a heavy metal band like Jeff yeah, Moltoll. That's right. Something I'm paraphrasing, but something to that nature. You I know, think you're right. Um, <clears throat> well, they uh, they they learned the lesson on that one. I mean, you know, you could you could. Just as ridiculous as Jethro Tull being in there is Iggy Pop being in there for heavy metal. Let's be honest, and and you could and it shows you how early Jane's Addiction was onto the whole thing. They were thrown into the heavy metal. Jane's Addiction started alternative music along with REM, and there's a lot of arguments that can be had. But Jane's Addiction was so ahead they didn't have a genre of music yet. They just wanted to give them their their just desserts and just threw them in the heavy metal category. Yeah, well, it, it, that was a strange it year. It is hard rock or or heavy metal, and I think you, I guess you could call Jane's Addiction hard rock most of the time. I call them hard rock. Yeah. 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 Well, they learned the error of their ways and in 1990 presented the best new artist Grammy to Millie Vanilli. <laughs> And how many did they win that year? Millie Vanilli won more than one that year. Um, Millie Vanilli won like, you know, blame it on the rain. They, they, they won a few that year. I want to say they won three or four Grammys that year. Isn't it odd? And they're, and they're, Go ahead. And their problem was, in, in their documentary, they're behind the music, which is very sad knowing that one of them is no longer with us. Uh, they were like, we were sitting in the audience going, please don't win. Please don't win because they didn't want it. You know, this Grammys was really going to shine a light on Millie Vanilli. And I think they ended up winning four or five. And then people started hearing them speak like, we are so happy to win Grammy. Cannot wait. And they're like, wait a minute. These are the same guys are singing on the records. They can't even speak. And I think that really opened up the Pandora's box of what became the, uh, you know, exposure of Millie Vanilli. The first public sign that the group was lip syncing came during a live performance uh, on MTV. The a hard drive issue caused the recording to jam and skip. I think there's video of that right there. I knew right then. There is. It goes, ah, 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 baby, ah, ah, baby, ah, 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 baby. And one guy ran off and the other guy tried to hang in there until they, until they moved it. Yeah. Downtown Julie Brown. Julie Brown was there. Julie Brown was there. She told me all about it. She's to, got a great story about the set. Yeah, I don't know if they won any other Grammys, but they were just, they were, oh, they had to have won at least one other one because I seem to recall that that was the year, again, the Grammys, having learned their lesson from the Metallica fiasco, that was the, 89 was the year of the first hard rock or heavy metal. I want to say 90 would have therefore been the first year of a hip hop category and i believe millie vanilli oh. won the hip-hop award 
because there is a, you know, I'm in love, girl. I'm so in love. Yeah. That was <laughs> on, on, this, on the title track, Girl, You Know It's True. Dude, I think you are so right. I, I, I want to say you're right because I want that to be true. Um, but why do I think Fresh Prince and, and DJ Jazzy Jeff won the first hip-hop uh, Grammy? Maybe. But I, want, but I want it to be Millie Vanilli so badly. Yeah. I, I, but I think their thing was they won like five or six. I remember seeing the pictures of them. They had so many, and they knew, and they knew it was over, you know? Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm looking, and I just see that they – that they won the the best new artist award. I seem to recall them, and that's the one that they had to give back. And again, the, the Wikipedia page is talking about their Grammys in the singular. They obviously would have made them give them all back if they had won. Good point. More than one. Good point. Yeah, let, you can keep that one, but yeah. I found it odd too that the singers didn't have the most beautiful voices that they used. It always seemed like if you're gonna not use these guys as the real singers, you would get better singers. I didn't think the strength of... Well, I think that's why they, they did it because, you know, if you had got Luther Bandross singers <laughs> yeah. and these guys are these guys are going, I am Germany and you are from French. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, 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 I think it gave them a little bit of, uh, you know, a little room for error I there. Guess so it didn't stop CNC um, Music Factory from using, you know, from those those three acts that all used... Certainly that didn't. all used Martha Wash, who had already had yeah. hit songs, but they, I guess that was... Black Box. Yeah, that's right. Black Box did the same thing. Yeah, same singer. I mean, they all used. Yeah, they all used Martha Wash. So I, I am doing a little looking up. Who was the first rap artist to win a Grammy? DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince uh, were the first ones to win a okay. Grammy. Um, I wonder if Millie. That was in eighty nine. Millie Vanilli too, so. were were nominated. I just remember people being upset at the time. Maybe it was that it was the second year of it and they were nominated. And I just remember the actual legitimate hip hop community going, it just goes to show how far we have to go that we finally got a category, but that's what's getting nominated in it. Right, right. We go two steps forward, then one step behind. I don't think I don't think I would have made all of that up. Let me now let me be a contrarian. Now let me play devil's advocate. Let me make yes. the case that if we don't care about who sang on the Millie Vanilli album, perhaps out of the available nominees, Millie Vanilli was the best new artist of 1990. Okay. Okay. Go through the, give me the list. Okay. So it could have been, I think, and it's really tough because you got to figure out exactly when stuff came out and did the band, uh, you know, were they within the qualifying period? I think, sure. I think the Black Crows or Garth Brooks could have been nominated. And okay. I would make the case that obviously either of those are more significant to our culture and to music I hope, I hope than so. Millie Vanilli. <laughs> but, okay, I don't know what you want to make of Indigo Girls. They obviously had a nice career for themselves in the periphery of the proto-Lilith Fair culture of the world, but I can't name an Indigo Girls song. I've heard of them. I don't know any other songs. They've never spoken to yeah. me. They've never spoken to my musical DNA. I know they're super talented. I know they had that one hit, Close to I Feel to Find. Remember that one? Yeah. It was, you know, it was a little bit of a hit. They got a little top 20 thing. I think they do what they do fine. They've never spoken to me. Do I think they're deserving of a brand new uh, artist Grammy Award? I think they are. And I think they certainly are over, uh, over Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Desert yeah. Island, Mark, I'm sending you with one disc. It can either be the debut album from Indigo Girls or it can be Girl You Know It's True from Millie Vanilli. 
it, it's without a doubt Thank Millie you. Vanilli. It's not even okay. Close. Great. Yeah, Millie Vanilli. Yeah. But but <laughs> but, 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 but hold on. You're you you now. Those are different set of protocol though. You know what I mean? That's what I like. I'm going to be at a desert island with. I kind of you know. I, but I was saying why the Indigo Girls did you know deserve to be nominated mm-hmm. ahead of Millie Vanilli in terms of a best new artist grant. Yeah, okay. I, I get that. I get that. I see. No, no, I, I do understand that. I'm just saying, like, I do feel like I'm open to. I've never heard Indigo Girls, so I'm making assumptions about what they sound like. But I'm willing to bet that I'm right. I really like Sarah McLaughlin. I really like Ani DeFranco. I really like a bunch of those people. So I feel like I could have gotten into Indigo Girls if Indigo Girls had had were willing to meet me halfway musically, so to speak. I think they would. You you you're, you're saying the very things that influenced them and the band, very bands they played right. with. I'm gonna so, have to spend some time with Indigo Girls. I think you need to go meet them halfway. Yeah. I think that's the they, deal. They did probably. make the records. I'm the one who has refused yeah. to listen to them. You're right. You're right. That's fair. <laughs> they made them available, bro. They are available to all. <laughs> Indigo <laughs> Girls on the internet. Uh, <laughs> you know what's so funny? Yeah. If Millie Vanilli won a record today would anybody give no, a of course not of course not no i'm surprised yeah. ha- has there not been an artist yet that would be a great gimmick for somebody to like yeah. sia did the thing where you can't see her face and billy eilish does the thing where you can't see her body if somebody said i'm putting out a record maybe somebody's already done this i'm putting out a record and there's going to be somebody who does all of the press and does all of the shows and damn right that's not me you'll never fucking get a look at me and I know Daft Punk, Daft yeah, Punk did the yeah. helmets, but I'm talking about all the way. There's another person walking around that d- gets out and shakes their ass on stage. They're great. That person, like um, kind of the read I always got on on Fallout Boy, and I was sort of around them. They used to be at Swing House all the time where it was like, it's a very uh-huh. weird thing that's just about never happened in rock history where the bass player can't sing but was born to be a front man mouthpiece. The singer's a great singer, a great songwriter, couldn't have less interest in having people look at him. So there are people out there right. who are great front people. I mean, look at half the rock bands that have ever existed. There's great front people who can't sing. Just let one of let oh, yeah. one of them run around. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at one you're looking at one of them, goddammit. But yeah, I mean I mean, look, you're right. As long as it's Christmas somewhere in the band it, it, it can be it can be exploited so that way. It would way, be nice if know? somebody owned um, that as a gimmick. That would be a fun gimmick. Maybe it's happening. I'm just not thinking. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the dancing guy from uh, uh, Boston's. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I love your commitment to that guy. Uh, I promise you, someone has done a Millie Vanilli and has won since since Millie sure. Vanilli. I promise you. Meaning, someone else has sung the parts that this person was supposedly sang and has won Grammys. I promise you. It's just, it's, it's had to have happened. Right. And I think as we look back at Millie Vanilli, were they treated unfairly? Absolutely. They got blamed on those two guys. They just signed up for a deal and they were artists and they, they were just front men and they did what they did. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, they put out a little bit of a charade. I'm not going to say they didn't, <laughs> but they said, yeah, it's not us, but you know, we're, we've got guys that we can, We've got a good team of good songwriters, and we look good, and we're going to do our thing with our hair, and either come and join us or don't. I think they could have survived that. Yeah, it, it didn't help that they sucked so bad, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it didn't hurt. It didn't help either that they refused the initial blowback. Yeah. You know, they tried to find – like, like look, any anybody who was dying, um, you know, you try to get some kind of uh, – life raft thrown to you they 
they they knew it was over. Um, and so it took them for a while to come come around. You know, unfortunately, it had dire consequences. That's right. You know? That's right. And they for those, for those that don't know, one of them killed himself. You know, Fab. That's right. And they did. Uh, no, it was Rob. It was Rob. Forgive me, Fab. I'm not. I'm not sure which Rob. one it was, but like they they yeah. did do like a diet coke or com- commercial or something like that, where they made fun of themselves for yeah. a Super Bowl. So they they did rehab their their image a little bit. Just nobody would care on nearly the same level nowadays. But they were the they were the pop Nickelback. It was as if the new kids on the block had been exposed. Yeah. Everybody was so ready to, to. Everybody was already pouncing on them when they thought they were yeah. the singers. That now they had exposed their you're right their, their fatal flaw. You're Who's right. Who's more deserving? If they if they had been around today, if they had if, they, if, if you know obviously tragedy tragedy hadn't struck, I promise you they could be playing those rewind the eighty shows out in oh, Europe God, yeah. and making a great living, even miming, not miming, singing, and do whatever they could. No one would give a oh, shit. Oh my God! Britney Spears hasn't sang a lyric since nineteen ninety eight, and no one gives a shit. No, that's absolutely you know? right. No, they would do one song in their set where they actually really sing, and it would be oh look at them actually trying, and then they just go back to doing their little silly dance. But I'm saying. Girl, I'm gonna miss you. Is a solid is a solid pop hit. Great song. I'll take it over Tone Loke, who was also nominated. I'll take it over Soul to Soul. Is that back to life? Back. It's keep on moving. Don't stop. Yeah, that was that's a great song. Come on, dude. That started that whole movement. They they were on some other. Okay, shit. I'm obviously stretching with this argument here, but I, we have spoken about Nina Cherry as everybody's talking. Uh, everybody's talking about Nina Cherry, and we're no exception. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm telling you, man. We get Buffalo Stance is so great. It's even better now than I knew it was at the time. The rest of the album really does not have much going for it you, you, you i mean if we're gonna put it head to head with girl i'm gonna miss you because i i think millie Vanilli similarly falls off of a creative cliff after that one i'm just saying it's it right. wasn't as crazy if you take the controversy away it was not as insane those guys were huge they had like five Gigantic. top 10 songs and they were they were super stars they weren't just like stars no. they were super duper stars they they were they were kind of Beatles. They they had that boy band phenomenon, but they also had these songs yeah. that couldn't stop. That Swedish pop team that was giving these songs that were just incredible. They couldn't lose, you know. But Nina Cherry, I always loved because she was just so cool looking. Oh, she had such a cool aesthetic. She was wearing like a gold bomber jacket before they were even cool. She was just amazing. Now, she was awesome. That let brother sister of. Eagle Eye Cherry. Cherry. No, you know what I mean? and 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 lots definitely of, when you looked at she was she was ahead of her time. What was going to be happening in pop music? She was she was not just a she was doing something people were going to be doing in five years, and she was doing it as well, if not better, as they were going to be doing it in five years. So that one song is kind of um, justifies her uh, her nomination um, all by itself. Uh, 1992 best new artist i want to do two more of these we've gone on for so long already the nominees yeah. best new artist 1992 cnc music factory i, I i'm a I'm, I'm a, i think the factories were pretty underrated i think anybody that was yeah. using you know uh mass assembly methods to make music in those days your black boxes and your and your snaps and what have you Technotronics, you know, yeah, there, there was there was that Euro, there was that big Euro pop lane, yeah. man. 
It's a huge lane. And pop music, I mean, sorry, dance music has always really struggled to this day. It's very, very hard to boil down what works in a club to what works on the radio. And for a minute there, them and the KLFs of the world actually found a way and mm-hmm. Mars and all that found a way to make it work. But And it was cool, too. You know, like where dance music in the 80s was kind of like, you know, Dance Party USA. There was a coolness to that Euro funk early 90s thing. You know, it wasn't it wasn't. It didn't have the lame aesthetic that a lot of the 80s dance did. No, you know? that's exactly right. You definitely... It was darker. You know, no, for sure. You, you definitely darker, had you know? the impression that these people were leading glamorous lives, having better sex than you were having, doing better drugs than you yeah. had access to in some nightclub somewhere. And D-Light personified that as an American act. Um, so they, in a weird sort of way, did feel alternative because they weren't necessarily begging, yeah. begging for your approval in the way that dance music on the charts had before that. You know, that's right. I mean, because Chicago had that, you know, that scene, that wax house right. scene or uh, what tracks, whatever it was called. Uh, you know, even Ministry came out of that whole thing. Uh, and Nine Inch Nails kind of had that that weird sort of dark dance. Obviously, it did, 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 didn't become the pop dance we're talking about, but it had a DNA in it that was kind of it was kind of rocking, kind of a rock DNA, you know, certainly, like you yeah. said. Clubs, parties, drinks, drugs. So all whatever that. people might think about CNC Music Factory, they were they were big. They had hits. It was a, their rapper was pretty silly. The whole thing was pretty silly. But they were a force to be reckoned with in pop music in those days, and they were something new and fresh that was connecting with the kids and moving units. Color Me Bad were a thing for some strange reason. Uh, Seal made his debut in 1991 and was therefore nominated for Best New Artist in 1992, along with Boys to Men beating out all of the aforementioned Mark Cohn. And I needed to refresh my memory what the song was. Walking in Memphis, right? Walking in Memphis. Oh, I'm walking in To me, are you going to play it? Sure, let's do it. To me, this was such a weird song for the era. It's like, who did this guy know? Or why did this, why is this been playing on the yeah. radio? You know what I mean? It was so strange. A general rule of thumb, when somebody's walking up for their Grammy and you're asking yourself, who does this guy know? The Grammys have probably <laughs> failed. Here's the song. And I'm walking in Memphis. Just walking with my feet 10 feet off a beam. Walking in Memphis. But do Saw the ghost of Elvis on Union Avenue. Followed him up to the gates of Graceland, and I watched him walk right. Through. Kind of a Bruce Hornsby by way of Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, well said. I couldn't say it any better, and it just stuck out like a sore thumb from what was happening at the time. I mean, you kind of had the Rembrandts kind of came out right around then, so there's a little bit of a. There was also those guys. I can't remember their names, but. They had, they, uh, uh, I, but they, there was a weird singer-songwriter vibe there, too. But this is great when, like, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 were coming out. Nirvana was exploding. Grunge was exploding. And none of that is really being represented here, which is interesting. Are you, you thinking know? of David Gray by any chance, or is he is he later? No, I'm not thinking of David Gray. There was just – there was a two uh, – two, two, uh, there's uh, – uh, Oh, there you go. Would I lie to you, baby? Would I lie to you? I can't remember it. It's two guys, yeah. and and they were they were very they much they had, they had that Mark Cohn sound, and 
And the Rembrandts had a, that's just the way it is, baby. And there's a little bit of like a, a kind, not a country, but like a last gas folk rock thing happening. And Mark Cohn, I guess, yeah. you know, hit the right notes. Yep, yep, yep. And finally, I think Sugar Ray would have been eligible in 1998 because you, you, you or, or, or I don't know if it was the big album or the first album that happened in 97. We, we would have been eligible, and some say we were robbed. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I, I will be one of those persons. You know what the problem was, though, I think, is that we didn't release, and the, the, the fucking Academy hated this. We didn't release Fly as a single because we wanted you to buy the album because we knew nothing else was coming. And it was a very popular practice amongst artists in the 90s. Uh, Smash Mouth did that. They didn't release Walking on the Sun because they wanted you to buy the goddamn album. Sublime didn't release What I Got because they wanted you to buy the whole record. So it was a very common practice back then because you'll look up a song like Barbie Girl and go, well, they got to number one, right? And it did by Airplay, but it's it got to number 36 in the charts or something like that because it never was released as a single because they wanted you to buy the album. So I think we were really penalized by that. At least that's what I tell myself. Well, I definitely would have voted for Sugar Ray over the winner. I'm sure I don't need to tell you who it is. There were a couple of pretty noteworthy artists who were nominated who perhaps were fitting, would have been fitting recipients in their own right. Hanson were nominated, and it was just the one song, really. But what a song and what a phenomenon. Few songs have been quite as big as Mbop was. America had fallen head over heels with those those three children. And I would say that they had the least compelling case out of the nominees who did not win for best new artist in 1998. Erica Badu was nominated. Yep. Fiona Apple was nominated. And I did, was it like the next year that she won every single Grammy? She also won the yeah. best heavy metal and yeah. best hip hop. And they just gave her every single <laughs> This Norwegian death metal. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it was a year too soon. They certainly made up for it with Fiona Apple. Also, it's weird to call him a best new artist, but I guess 97 was the solo debut of Puff Daddy, no longer in the Notorious B.I.G. thing. And all of those people and Sugar Ray lost to perhaps right up there with my least favorite hit makers from the 1990s, Paula Cole. Yeah, you know what? There's something super depressing about Paula Cole. She, I, I don't know, and I'm with you, right? And the Mer- Meredith Brooks was kind of in that, you know, I'm a bitch, oh, yeah. I'm a lie, you know? Yeah, there was something about that. I just, it didn't speak to me, you know? I understand why people like Paula Cole, I do. Oh, and like, what if God was one of us? You know, I just, I don't know, they're just... Uh, I, I was trying to rock back then. I wasn't trying to get cerebral, you know? Yeah, everybody knows it, but it, I, I, this song makes me angry. It flat out makes me angry. It's just, you know, why it makes you angry because it's like really talented musicians sitting in a studio going, let's write about like, come to me. What do you got? Okay. Where have all the good guys going? You know what I mean? You can see them writing that 
and just trying to make it something, you yeah. know, that that's what bothers me about that. But why, don't, why should it bother me? I it's don't ve- know. It's very I mean? smug. I hate when people are doing a tongue in cheek thing and then they need to do the air quotes when everybody already knew that you were joking in the way that she pronounces beer when she goes, you go have a beer in case people didn't know she's not actually looking to date a cowboy. I don't know if I had made that clear. I don't know if my nose ring made that clear enough. It's it's so well said. You know, and and, and so the third well generation said. copy of a copy jewel yodeling that she was getting up to. I did not care for that movement of yep. music in, in the slightest. It happens when when an artist like that breaks through, would be in reggae or something like that. Just wait two or three years, you're gonna get a glut of second rate artists of that very nature. Happens every year. And I'll tell you my last Grammy story. This is kind of an interesting one. Nineteen ninety-nine, uh, every morning was a lock for to me to be nominated for song. Our our label thought it was. Um, uh, you know, it, it, things were looking good. I got invited down to the hotel, the Beverly Wilshire, to uh, read the nominations for the Grammys. Now, when you get invited to read the nominations, you're normally getting uh, a, a, a nomination. It, it's never not happened that you haven't. So I'd read like the country nominations or something, and someone would read yeah. ours. Blah blah blah. So. I read like, you know, hip hop nominations and it's six in the morning. And then, you know, I'd been up all night party or whatever. And, uh, you know, it passed. Finally, the one, the twos that we were at, best song and best group come and like Usher reads them and it's not best song. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's best group. Uh, and then they read them and they go, and for the last one, Smash Mouth and All Star. And I just went, oh my God, I think someone thinks that I was the Smash Mouth. Like, it's and so I'm there's a gigantic press line. This is when the Grammys was huge, okay? So I'm walking with all these superstars Puff Daddy, um, Usher, uh, TLC was there, uh, I, I think uh, Kenny Chesney. I'm walking with them, and we're supposed to do a red carpet. And everybody starts asking me, Mark, how does it feel to be the first guy to ever read the nominations not to be nominated? And I go, I can't even say, tell my mom it's nice just to be nominated. I don't know. That was kind of my little thing I thought about. That's but good. I, I just went home and just crawled in my bed for a week and cried. And my, my label's like, this has never happened. We were so, I go, no, I said, look, we don't deserve a Grammy. But we were so, you know, there's no entitlement to a Grammy, but we were so ready to receive one because we were in place. We were going to go read the names. And it was like, and I think they even apologized to our label about something, but it was so strange, man. And it's uh, it's never been done since. Never been another person who's read nominees as So are you saying that you think the person who invited you thought you might have been the Smash Mouth guy, not the Sugar Ray guy? Yeah, I think there was just some miscommunication between who's who's in Sugar and Smash Mouth. And you know, I've talked about there's there's a lot of simpatico between the sounds, the career, the trajectories of both bands. And for some reason, in all the malaise and malu of what was going on, someone just said, "Yeah, you know, call Mark and get him down to read it." When it should have been called Steve to get him, but maybe Steve would have showed up, so they know I would have. <laughs> but that's that's little my little interesting Grammy tidbit and for me not to say that doesn't carry a little bit of bitterness in my dna i'd be lying to you dolly so i think it's a a great way for you to me to start sharing my insight into the grammy well i can honestly say that when of course i'm gonna see if we're if we're talking about a topic that might intersect with your career i'm gonna try to find out about that ahead of time i i was genuinely surprised to find out that your name didn't pop up 
in here some way. So take that for what it's worth. I would have assumed based on, I, I know where you sat in, in the musical culture at that point. I would have assumed that you'd gotten nominated for something somewhere along the way. So I think they did you wrong. Well, I appreciate that. And, and listen, in 97, I understood. We were kind of an anomaly. We came out of nowhere. But, you know, that's kind of what we've been talking about. A lot of these bands do come out yeah. of nowhere. Hanson, blah, blah, blah. There was one song on the record. But we did the impossible. We did it again with Every yeah. Morning, which arguably became bigger than Fly. Yeah. I don't want to say we deserve to be nominated, but we deserve to be nominated, you know? Not to put too fine a point on it. And there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> The next time I speak to you, perhaps one of these days we'll actually do one of these in 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 person, and yeah, and perhaps we will, uh, and perhaps we will manage to successfully both talk about and record ourselves talking about the new releases of April nineteen eighty one. Until then, I know you got some exciting stuff going on, so uh, so get to it and congratulations on that. Yeah, I don't want to brag, but uh, I'm coaching a little basketball, man. So our team, you know, they need Coach McGrath out there to show them how to run the triangle. These 10-year-olds can be difficult, you know. <laughs> you get them, uh, Tex Watson? No. Who's the who's the triangle guy? Oh, yeah. It was Tex, uh, what's his name? Uh, I think it was Tex Watson. Did I get that right? Or, it, or, is, that, or is that the Manson guy? <laughs> it's either. <laughs> it's either. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's either Phil Jackson's mentor or it was the gunman in the, oh, in the Tate Commerce. <laughs> All right, with that. I'm one of those with... guys. It might, have been, it might have been Tex Winter. I'm not sure. Now I'm going to have to go check. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go on that note. Thank you very much for being here as always. All right, Tolly. I appreciate it, my brother. Take Be care. good, man. <laughs>